everybody. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've been actually uh, walking through a series called Mindful, and it's been a, a journey for us to realize that the life of faith is one where we have to actually uh, not just trudge through life mindlessly, but the life of faith actually calls us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind by paying attention to what's going on inside of us. And so uh, that's what we've been doing uh, for the past couple of weeks. We've decided to start a conversation around the ways that we become mindful that our minds are full. That's where we've been. I want to give you a little bit of how we're going to end the series. Let me give you just a, a series finale sneak pre preview, sneak peek preview for next Sunday. Next Sunday, uh, we have an incredible opportunity to have uh, the legendary Tom Bronner is going to be joining me on stage along with two Heartland Connected counselors as we talk about uh, different issues around Johnson County uh, related to things that maybe we've all experienced at some point. Uh, things like anxiety and depression. We're going to have a conversation about that. We're also, I want to give you a heads up, we're also probably going to be talking a, a little bit about uh, suicidal ideations and suicide. And so I just want to give you a heads up uh, if that's a, a subject that touches close to home. I just want to be prepared for that so you can make uh, the best decision for, for you how to engage next week. Um, but I hope that next week as we conclude this series, you'll have a picture for how God plans for his church to be a part of bringing mental health and emotional health to the forefront in our communities. And I think Heartland is one of those places that God is most alive and at work doing such a thing. So I hope that you'll uh, join us next Sunday uh, for that. But for today, for today, I want to walk us through something that maybe you've never been walked through before. I want to help us learn how to fight with God. Have you ever fought with God before? You absolutely have. Maybe you uh, didn't admit it. Maybe you didn't know that you were doing it, but you've talked to God in a moment of pain, in a moment of sorrow, in a moment of frustration, in a moment of bargaining maybe, in a moment of, of despair. You've talked to God. You've asked him some of life's hardest questions, and then maybe you didn't know if it was okay for you to ask the questions that you were asking of God in that moment. For today, as we journey through this next couple of minutes together, I hope that you would walk out of here today seeing the power and the blueprints and the benefits of what it looks like for us to actually fight with God. Fighting with God. It seems um, so counterproductive to religious people. It seems like something that would be uh, off topic or off the table for, for people who claim to love God and who claim that God loves them. Um, maybe for you, you think about the idea of fighting with God and you think like, well, I can't, I can't do that. And there's a reason that we, we feel like some topics are off limits with God. It's because some of the topics that we have with our own families are off limits among ourselves. Here's, a, here's just an example from my family yesterday. Uh, uh, my kids somehow got out of school early this year. Did yours? No, you're still in school? Well, lucky you. My kids got out, and they're bored. Already. Two days into it, they're bored. And yesterday, I'm doing work in the backyard, just like making the place amazing for them. And all of a sudden, my kids come outside, and they go, Dad, this person's had too much time on the iPad. It's my turn. And then the other one says, they had it first. And all of a sudden, they start complaining and fighting with me over whose turn it is and how much time they get and why the other person's so fair. And, and, and here's what I said. I'm like a good dad, right? I say this. I say, give me the iPad. You've all lost it for the entire rest of humanity. 
Right? I mean, yeah. So you've been there. Okay, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. I was like, listen, here's a hard lesson, y'all. I don't this conversation. I don't let you complain to me. This is not something that you're entitled to. This is just something that you get to do. And so one person messes it up for all of you. It's all messed up. We got to chuckle about that human dynamic because I think all of us have parents or, or as kids have been there. And, and yet, that's a really detrimental perspective to think about how God thinks about our complaining. We don't tend to go to God with the things that are really on our mind that are really bothering us because we imagine that God's going to respond the same way that our imperfect parents responded or, or the way we as imperfect parents respond to our kids with, that's it, we're done here, you're out. No, actually, if, if, um, if we were to look in, into the scriptures, you wouldn't have to look far to see all the ways in which God has hardwired into our faith a language to complain to him when things aren't going the way we think they should. God has actually given us a language to, to speak. It's an ancient language that exists if, if you have eyes to see it. And what I want to do today is actually just pull that language out of the, 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 the ancient world and put it today in front of you to say, here is how we can fight with God when it, things like, when it seems like things aren't going your way. The, the, the place that we're going to look today is in the Psalms. The Psalms. I, I um, love Monty Python. Uh, growing up, still love Monty Python. Monty Python used to rail about the Psalms because they were so depressing. And that's kind of true. If you look at the Psalms, about half of the Psalms vacillate between praise, this like, great God, you're so good, and then absolute sorrow. God, where are you? The Psalms seem to be the diary of someone who's struggling with the whiplash of life and the highs and the lows. There's a psalm that I want to point us to today. It's just a couple of verses. It's really, really short. It's psalm chapter 13. If you've got a phone or a Bible, I'd love for you just to pull it up so you can see it in front of you. So you know I'm not making this up. But, but Psalm chapter 13 was, was written by one of the most re revered leaders in history, King David. He was one of Israel's kings. Not only was he an incredible leader, David was someone who we would say had a very close relationship with God. But if you look at what David writes in Psalm 13, it doesn't seem like David has a close relationship with God. But in David's psalm, the psalm of lament, David shows us the blueprint and the benefits for fighting with God. There are blueprints, there are benefits to us practicing this ancient language of lament. Let me show you, let me show you what what I mean. Here, here we go. Uh, verse one. Uh, before I jump in, is this a real topic for you? Yeah. You ever want to fight with God? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Me too. How long, oh Lord? I don't know if you've ever asked that prayer, asked that of, of yourself. How long will this happen? How long is this going to go on? But, but you know you're in a spot where you need to fight with God when you start asking, how long is it going to be like this? C.S. Lewis uh, lost his wife, Joy Davidson, wrote an incredible book out of the sorrow that he felt called A Grief Observed. And in that book, he recognizes the feeling of lostness that he has. It's akin to just a circle, a loop, a track that's on repeat, just kind of rehearsing the pain of his heart over and over and over again until in one of the pages he says, I realized that I wasn't in an endless loop, but I was in a spiral a spiral of pain, and I didn't know if I was going up 
or if I was descending downward. And then here's the quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, but the only question I could ask of God was this simple question, how long? Each one of us has or will ask this question in your life. How long? This is exactly the question that David asks four times. Check this out. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Here's his request. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. With, within these just simple six verses, David actually outlines for us the benefits and the blueprint for how to fight with God through lament. I, I pointed out to you that four times he asked the question, how long? The, the question, how long, is this, is this expression of the gap in his experience and his expectations. What he expected to happen in his life was that God would be present with him and close to him and be a constant source of counsel and provision, that he would provide victory in his life. That's what David expected God to do. But what he experienced was, in this moment, None of that. David experienced some knots, not the K-N-O-T type of knots that we talked about in week one of this series, but the N-O-T knots. I'll walk, walk you through them again. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? God, it feels like you do not remember me. God, um, he says, secondly, God, uh, how long will you hide your face from me? God, it feels like you do not see me. And he says, how long must I take counsel in my soul, have sorrow in my heart all the day? God, it feels like you haven't given me away and I've got no escape. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? God, I'm not winning. David shows us that when we feel this acute sense of loss or despair or sorrow, when life is not the way we expect it to be, what we, what we ought to do is actually go to God, look around at the circumstances that we're in, and be honest with him about it. That's the first thing that lament allows us to do. Lament allows us to look around at our situations and be honest. I love that David four times just straight up tells God exactly how his reality feels. David isn't trying to cover up this emotion, trying to cover up this reality with some sort of glossy prayer. He's not trying to pray his problems away. He's not trying to say some incantation that will suddenly make his experience better. No, no, David actually in his lament, he talks to God and he says, God, this is exactly how I feel. It feels like you've forsaken me. It feels like you're gone. It feels like I have no escape. It feels like I'm never going to win again. And I love that. Because lament allows us, actually the better word is it requires us to be honest with God. You want to know how to fight with God? You want to know how to process where God is in the midst of pain or confusion? It starts by simply being 
honest. For David, in the midst of this sorrowful season of his life, this winter time of his soul, he looks around at his situation and he doesn't pretend to God that everything's perfect. No, instead he says, God, everything is falling apart and it feels like it's your fault. And I love that this is in the Bible. Like, I, I love that like half of the Psalms are these types of things. That, that this wasn't sanitized out of what the experience of faith actually is. That we can flip open centuries later and read David's exact expressions to God, his prayers to God, and see that it's okay to look at God and be honest. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe that's all you need today for where you are is just to simply say, God, honestly, here's how I feel. I'm reminded um, of, of Jesus the night that he was betrayed. He went to a garden and he was honest with God. And he lamented in the Garden of Gethsemane. I remember, reminded on that moment when they put him on the cross and he was there dying. That he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a reference to Psalm 22, which is a psalm of lament. And so here's kind of the thing. If it's good enough for Jesus, it can be good enough for me to be honest with God and to tell him this is what I feel. So lament allows me to Look around and be honest. But, but, but there's another blueprint, another step here that David shows us in, in verse three and four. Uh, here, here's what he says. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David comes to God and he says, not only do I feel like you're far away, God, but there's some stuff I need you to do for me. I need you to consider and answer me. That's, that's number one. Just, just look at me. See me. Have you ever been there with God? Where, where you're, you're pleading, God, it feels like you're so far away, like you can't possibly see me. If you saw me, you would do something for me. He says, light up my eyes, which is a way to say, um, bless me. Do something on my behalf. God, you used to bless me, but now it feels like you're gone. Light up my eyes. It, it, it means restore my soul. Bring vitality to my life once again. Help me dream about what the future looks like. Help me remember, God, that there's hope for the future. Bring me your life. And then he says, finally, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I'm Shaken. He's, he's, he sounds dramatic here. He's just simply saying, let me live. You know, these are heavy burdens that David is carrying. We have no idea what the situation was in his life that caused him to write this psalm. But whatever it is, it's a really tough situation. Don't you agree? This is up against it type stuff. And here's what I love about lament is that lament allows us not only to look around at our circumstances and be honest to God about it, but it changes our perspective. It allows us to take our burdens and lift them up to God as we look up to him. Lament allows us to, to look up and be unburdened. 
Now, I don't mean that like by praying a prayer of lament, your problems are going to go away. Of course not. It's not how prayer works at all. But, but there's, this, there's this unleashing of your problems upon the right place that unburdens our souls. That when we look up to God and we say to him, God, here's what I'm up against. Here's what I'd like you to do for me. Could you help me out a little bit? When, when we take that and we unburden ourselves, it's like the weight has a place to go. It's like the weight has someone who's strong enough to carry it for me. One of the phrases that I think is like totally gross but comes out of the counseling world, it's the phrase verbal vomit. Have you ever heard that phrase? You ever have your spouse come home and just verbally vomit all over you? are cooking dinner and it's like, how was your day? And then like you wish you'd never asked, right? Sometimes counselors tell us this is what it feels like to be in a session with, 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 with people and they're just all these things coming out. And it's a gross metaphor, but it's one that is appropriate for lament. You know, God wants you to give him your burdens. Like God wants you to unleash the totality of the thing that's weighing you down and to put it at his feet to show you I can handle all of who you are and some. But we often don't because it feels off limits. What lament does is it gives us permission. It tells us not only do you have to look around and be honest about your life, you can look up and you can put your burdens somewhere where they can be handled. And when we do that, there's this incredible benefit that happens in our lives. This incredible benefit. It shows up here in verse five, what, what David says here at the end of the psalm. He says, just tell me if this doesn't seem a little like out of place in the rest of the psalm. It says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Right, so this is why people don't read the psalms. It's because verses one through four were like, oh my gosh! And verses five and six are like, but it's all good. It's all cool. Right? I mean, don't you kind of wonder, like, what happened to this one guy between verses 4 and verse 5 where he went from, like, this all-out state of, I mean, depression to this moment of incredible hopefulness and this optimism about his future? What was it that changed between verses 4 and 5? And here's what I just want to recommend or suggest to us right now in this moment is that um, I don't think anything changed about David's situation between verses 4 and verse 5. I mean, ostensibly, like the, the exact situation that he was living out, I don't, think, I don't think maybe anything changed on the outside. But what changed was his perspective. Um, there, there's an author and a musician by the name of Michael Card who has actually written an incredible book just on this topic of lament, prayers of lament. It sounds really, really rough to be the guy that writes about lament, but it's an incredible book. And um, in, that, in that book, he kind of takes some of the Hebrew language that exists in what this is the English, behind this is Hebrew, the language that David would have written this in. And there's a, there's a key. There's a key for us to understand what what change or how lament benefits us and how to, how to fight with God. And it's actually all in this word right here. But here's what it looks like in the Hebrew. 
Okay, now stay with me. Some of you, you know, analyze stocks for a living. That sounds like really boring to me. And this is what I do for a living. It's really exciting to me. So come on. This is a Hebrew character. It's like the ampersand of the English language. And you're like, we don't have that, but the X, Y, and is the ampersand Z. And um, this one character is its own word. It's the word but. It, it's, a, it's a figurative line in the sand, so to speak, of one sort of existence with another sort of existence. The, the two worlds existing at the same time and David has to choose which world he's going to be a part of. Michael Card points out in his book that every psalm of lament has this figurative line in the sand where the psalmist is dealing with the reality of their world, trying to understand what they're expressing and experiencing and talking to God about where this has to come up, this moment, this line in the sand, a decision point, so to speak. And on the other side of the line is hope. On the other side of the line is trust. On the other side of the line is a confidence that though it hurts, God is good. And David says here, but, and it's like he's saying, all of this back here in my past has been really hard. All of this right here in my presence is, is incredibly difficult. But I want to experience more of you, God. Because I believe even in the hard things, you are there. Michael Card says the only thing that might have actually changed in the midst of this battle is David's awareness of God's presence with him. And listen, one of the reasons that maybe God feels far away to you is because you haven't argued with him enough. You haven't taken time to actually Give him all the burdens that you're carrying. Not in some religious got to do it or otherwise he's not going to fix it type of way, but in this honest soul level, like, God, I want to experience you. Those who can cross the line are those who take the time to actually talk to God about their sorrow, about their trials, about their pain. This is the ultimate blessing of lament. Lament not only allows us to look around and be honest and look up and be unburdened, but lament allows us to look ahead and be encouraged to dream about the future when you cannot dream about the future. For, for all of this, David has this incredible perspective change. I want to go all the way back through this and rewind the tape for you on this psalm just to show you how this all plays itself out. At the beginning, David is so consumed in his trial with who he is and how he's feeling that the object of every sentence in verses 1 through 4 is himself. He is self-obsessed. Then isn't it true, in the midst of a trial, we can become incredibly self-obsessed? I know I can. Look, here's how it goes. Here, here's, what, here's what David says. I just highlighted all these for you. David says to God, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Let up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Let my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Do you see it? Do you see it? 
David has for four verses just poured out all that it is in his own soul to God. And he gets to this line in the sand. And here's what I want to ask. How long did it take for David to get to that line? Now, it, literally, it took him four verses. But I guarantee it wasn't 10 minutes. It didn't happen the first time that he hit his knees asking God to take away the pain. No, our best guess is that between verses one through four and this little word, but, was probably more like a year of David's life. Have you ever argued with God that long? Have you ever stayed in the fight that long with God, begging for him to change things? Begging for him to show up? Lament allows us to press into the heart of God to see if he actually cares about us. I don't know why God let David wait so long before he gave him this moment. But it shows me that for those who are willing to stay in it with God, to grapple with God, to let God be included in the fight and in the pain and in the sorrow, that God will give us a line in the sand that will allow us to see how good he is. When that happens, notice how everything changes to make God the object of the sentences. He says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. As David thinks about the future and the hope that he knows is possible in God, he does so resting in God's steadfast love. It's a decision. This is what we're talking about. The, the, the steadfast love of God is a decision point that God made before he created anything. He decided that he was going to love his creation. David, in the midst of his not feeling that God is on his side, says, no, God, I know that before you ever made me, you chose to love me. It's a, it's a decision by God based in his will, not in his emotions. How God feels about you doesn't change when he meets you. God so loves you that he's loved you before you were ever formed. And sometimes we got to fight with God to remember that. Sometimes we got to, you know, swing our arms at him a little bit and cry from a deep place and beg him, God, would you please show up? Would you please help? And when we do, God will often take our perspective and take it off of ourselves and put it into the future. I don't know what you need to fight with God about. I was talking with a couple of people after the last service and I was just amazed at the ways that these small little benefits and blueprints of lament were instantly applicable to them. So I don't know what it is for you, but I know that good things happen when we take our burdens to God, even if it feels like he's left us far away. And so I just want to end our service right here with just a moment for you just to take a, take a minute and maybe you need to provoke a fight with God. Maybe today the best, most spiritual thing you could do is to tell God it feels like you're far away. So I just want to give you space right here, right now, 
as our band concludes us today.